his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts. MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com. This is going to be an interesting hour, one that I'm really looking forward to. She's the author of a book called Ensnared in the Wolf's Lair Inside the 1944 Plot to Kill Hitler and the Ghost Children of His Revenge. Anne Bossom, thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Ryan, I'm so pleased to be with you. I First question, though, is how do you go from being an award-winning children's book to talking about the assassination plot of Hitler? <laughs> It's uh, it's important history, and uh, I tend to pick the t- the difficult topics. So this this was right up my alley. There's so much fascination in World War II. It's constant. I mean, when we go back and think about people having an interest in learning about history, it's almost an automatic thing. They immediately go back to World War II and ideas like the. Uh, assassination plot to kill Hitler being part of history. This is just so fascinating to so many different people. I'm kind of curious what drew you to this plot. What really drew me to it was the history that happened afterwards, which uh, is, is not well known at all in this country. And even in Germany had, had not been um, very well understood until recent decades and uh, in order to be able to tell the story of what came after, I had to tell what came before. And so the book has tried to frame that in a way that will in- engage, you know, really adult readers, too, for that matter, because they, th- this is so un- undertold. But, um, but children, especially middle schoolers and up, who are, um, are, want to find out more about this regime and, um, and the depths of the revenge that it was willing to seek in, um, in its own means. When we talk about history like this, and I know that this is just part of the story, the plot itself, uh, in the subtext of the book inside the 1944 plot to kill Hitler, is it impossible as an author to go back and research a moment like that and not think to yourself how history would have been changed if that was successful? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that that um, tendency to, you know, what if Kennedy hadn't been assassinated? Um, you know, what if 9-11 had been prevented? There are these, these moments when history could have turned down a different corridor and we missed that opportunity. What if Lincoln hadn't been assassinated? Um, and uh, and it's, 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 
easy to get caught up in speculating about about how it might have been different and fascinating to do that. But in the end, we you know we we lived one path, and uh, that's the history we need to better understand. Yeah, there was an attempt to assassinate Adolf Hitler, and I think some people may be familiar with it because of a movie that came out with Tom Cruise. But I'm really curious when you go back and look at the Wolf's Lair in this headquarters. Uh, in East Prussia, how close did they actually get to taking out Hitler at that time? Uh, very close. So actually, that Valkyrie movie is this same plot. It's um, this July 20th, 1944. Uh, even though Germany, it, it's become clear that Germany is going to lose the war. The D-Day landings have happened. And um, but there is this um, conspiratorial movement that's been building, um, particularly within the military, but also among civilian leaders. And um, it coalesces around this um, determination to try to assassinate Hitler. And Hitler, by by 1943, 1944, is so insulated and um, withdrawn and surrounded by such loyalists that it's very hard to actually get to him to kill him and it's it's or try to and it's not until this july attempt at this place of the wolfschanze or or the wolf's lair in what is now poland that um that they're able to um to make a a, a plausible attempt and the um the plot is is complex but it involves a briefcase filled with explosives which has a, a timer on it um, that has to be preset, and then uh, the time has to run out, and then the briefcase will explode. And I, the, you know, it's a complicated story just about that, but it does explode with Hitler in the room. The person who has set up this briefcase to explode, Klaus von Stauffenberg, uh, is um, is not in the room because he's also helping to lead this uh, attempted coup. Um, that's based in Berlin, and so he's flying back uh, to Berlin shortly after this this bomb detonates. Four people are killed, uh, and Hitler is more seriously wounded than he admits at the time, but he um, he does survive. So it, 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 this particular briefcase uh, had actually been moved slightly after um, von Stauffenberg leaves the the conference room. It's a military conference that's taking place, and it's um, it's the people closest to the briefcase who are killed. So if the briefcase had not been moved, just that um, probably would have changed the course of history. Wow, and it's impossible to hear stories like that and think the what-ifs. So I want to go back to what some people uh, mentioned about World War II. And when you look at some of the generals in on this side here in the United States, they said they were more concerned with taking out Nazis than they were with documentation. So a lot of things were missed, or they had to go back and fill out the, the blanks afterwards because they were just so entrenched with taking out uh, Hitler and the, uh, what was spreading overseas. But I'm kind of curious about moments like this. What documents and what official documents have you seen that actually go back and look at this plot? I'm wondering if there was a lot saved or is this all kind of like secondhand knowledge that came out after the fact? Uh, it's a, it's a, 
yes, <laughs> um, it's 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 all of the above. Um, even as the coup, it was it was becoming clu- uh, clear that the plot was failing in Berlin, um, and um, but there, the uh, conspirators still have a, a slight upper hand. Uh, they've started um, burning things. They've got fires going. They're burning documents just as fast as they can that um, might incriminate other people. There, there literally are, are hundreds of people behind this plot. And there's no one person who knew, knows all of the people who, who are there, but it was this web of um, you knew just enough um, to get your job done and um, and to know that somebody else was doing something that was related, but not enough to know at all. And so uh, they they did not begin to destroy everything. The the um, Nazi government was actually the more it learned about the plot, the more alarmed it became because it it turned out that it was a much more serious. Uh, um, coup attempt than they had realized that it was a much broader conspiracy that there were far more enemies of the state than they had appreciated and um, and uh, the the conspirators were very tight lipped there was not um, uh, you know despite being tortured despite uh, as I you know focus on in my book despite their family members being arrested and held basically as ransom or hostage. Um, to try to get the conspirators to talk, they were not betraying one another, um, and yet, uh, you know, historians, uh, eyewitnesses, have have pieced together um, a very detailed. I mean, you 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 can read inches of of books to to find out details about this da- time down to the minute. Um, there, it's it's a highly documented piece of history. Wow, I, I'd love to talk more about this with you because it's so interesting you think about the unintended consequences but then again do you really have sympathy for those that are close to adolf hitler that were creating all of these atrocities but then their families and their kids they have nothing to do with any of that it's just such a complicated thing in in a moral dilemma for a lot of ways so uh do you mind holding on after the break i'd love to talk to you more about this go for it where can people find your book by the way uh, any any bookstore is going to have it or be able to order it for you. Online booksellers are going to have it. You can find out more about um, my book at my website, which is just my name, annbossom.com, and um, there's a link there. If you like to order from Amazon, you can do that through my website. Ann Bossum, B-A-U-S-U-M, author of Ensnared in the Wolf's Lair Inside the 1944 Plot to Kill Hitler and the Ghost Children of His Revenge will continue next on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. The author of the book Ensnared in the Wolf's Lair Inside the 1944 Plot to Kill Hitler and the Ghost Children of His Revenge. And Bossom, thank you again for spending time with us this hour on KMOX. It's my pleasure. I, I appreciate it. I think there is this moral dilemma that some people run into because they hear stories like this and they don't realize the collateral damage that goes into a failed assassination attempt when you have someone as dangerous and Adolf Hitler as one of the figures there. What kind of repercussions if you miss or if you get it wrong? And then you think, well, if some of the people around him were punished, can you really feel all that bad for a Nazi? But then you don't realize their family members getting dragged into this who have nothing to do with it. And it's just a giant mess. And I I think that there's so many different 
angles to this one story that you decide to document. I don't think I've ever heard this anywhere else. This might be the first time I've ever heard of it being documented this way. So uh, I'm guessing when you started to do research, you started to learn new things that may have been uncovered for the first time. Well, certainly for American readers. Uh, and um, even in Germany, this was a, an undertold story, uh, really until only about the last 20 or, or perhaps 30 years. And in large part because there were just there's just a fire hose of of material to try to process coming out of this era and um, atrocities that um, of of much more um, you know consequential scale and um, and so it helps one understand why um, it, something like this could could just maybe not fall through the cracks but be mm-hmm. be lost. I want to kind of talk about what happened after this attempt, because there were efforts for Hitler to try to figure out, you know, who was responsible for this. And that's where a lot of this starts to really branch out like a spider web. And then all of these other people are pulled into it. And that's, I think, the second part, uh, ghost children of his revenge. Maybe you can kind of describe at first what a ghost children. What do you mean by that? Sure. So, um, so these people who were were preparing to do this coup, you know, I, I, I think it's is you make a very good point about the moral dilemma that they faced, and many of them realized that um, that they were likely to lose their lives. Um, and one of them, the the uh, Stauffenberg who placed that bomb, even said, "It is time for something to be done." But he who has the courage to do something must do so in the knowledge that he will go down in German history as a traitor. If he does not do it, however, then he will be a traitor to his own conscience. And, um, and, and his brother, who was also involved in the coup, said the most terrible thing is to know that it cannot succeed and that we must nonetheless do it for our country and our children. Uh, they knew they were up against tough odds. Um, they knew if, if they failed, they were almost certain to lose their lives. And because the regime had had a history of um, guilt by association through blood relationships, um, they realized that their own family members could be at risk. And that was indeed the case. Once, um, once Hitler realized who had betrayed him um, and um, and how outrageous their plans had been. Um, he vowed to have revenge on their families, and um, the Gestapo began um, visiting their homes within within hours or days, and initially removing adults from the homes, um, spouses, um, you know, parents, aunts, uncles, brothers, and. Um, and even their older teen children, um, you know, 18-year-old, 17-year-old, et cetera, and uh, taking them to, pri- to, to local jails and prisons, uh, as I said, essentially holding them hostage in an effort to try to uh, extort information from the conspirators to try to identify who else had been involved. And meanwhile, their, their younger children had been, um, you know, the the uh, older relatives have been forced to leave them behind. Um, in, in some cases, in this, the, many of these were privileged families, so they would have had 
servants, maybe a governess who would be there to look out for the children. Um, but also the Nazis placed um, their own people in the in the homes to keep an eye on them. And so these children were were marooned in their homes, having vi- you know very um, mixed information or, or or sparse information about what had happened to their um, their fathers uh, and their other relatives. And then after a few weeks of that, suddenly they're picked up by Gestapo agents, too, and taken, um, secreted away in this um, government-run children's facility in central Germany, where some of them are kept for um, for only a few weeks, but others are kept for months. And it's only after they're liberated by Allied forces um, in April of 1945, that um, that they began to um, to to have a hopes of regaining their freedom and seeing their family members again. So wow. to answer your question about why they were called the Ghost Children, uh, this was a, a large complex. I, I've been to. to to this place, it was. It's called the Borntal, um, and um, and seen it, and and you know, I describe it as as it's it's basically like a really nice summer camp. Um, you know, it's it's an idyllic setting. It's um, rural. It's, it's a resort area. It's mount, mountainous and and forested, and um, and then these lovely wooden structures that um, they. There, there was ample housing that was underutilized. So after some of the children had been let go and returned to their their homes, um, the uh, other parts of the of the camp were were utilized for other Nazi purposes. And there were um, there were groups of soldiers and scientists who were lodged there at one point who saw these children wandering around um, or walking around this this. Um, encampment, and the kids had had all kinds of restrictions put on them. They'd had their last names changed. They they were basically being, um, if not reprogrammed, at least, um, you, you know, the potential was there for the, their identities to be erased. And they had rules that if they went outdoors, they could not talk to one another. Mm. So the children had developed this hand signal um, communication system, and these adult who um, arrived later and were watching them assumed that the children had some sort of a, a developmental disability and um, and came up with this idea that they were ghost children, Geisterkinder, uh, in German, and um, just to describe these these quiet figures who would would glide around this this property, gesturing to one another. Wow, isn't that something? Uh, yeah. And- yeah, I start to think about some of the more modern examples of where government will come in. And I, I hear this and we're talking in the 1940s and we're talking about, you know, Nazi Germany and the way that they handled themselves. But things considered, they still do things similar to this in like North Korea. And they probably do stuff like this in China. And that we're talking it's 2021 which is pretty amazing. That's got to at least be in the back of your mind to think that sometimes these practices are still happening. Uh, well, that that's true. And, um, you know, honestly, even our own government was separating families at the border 
Some people feeling that was an appropriate policy, some people not. But once, you know, the children don't know, and so the trauma can be comparable um, whether you're in a, um, you know, a border dispute situation or you're in a political um, hailstorm. Yeah, I mean, well, I go back to like North Korea, and if you even petition or say anything that is bad against the government, they'll come in and they'll just... It could be the end for you and your family. And it's not just you or even in China where you've seen journalists that just disappear because they reported certain things. And next thing you know, family members are disappearing. It's just a real thing. You think about these kids and the way that they had nothing to do with all of this plot, but get caught up in all of these things. I want to know what happens to them after the fact. And maybe we can do that after the break. That sounds good. And the book is out now, Ensnared in the Wolf's Lair. You can find the book uh, wherever you get books. You can do a search or even go onto our website, and Bossum. It's B-A-U-S-U-M, andbossum.com. And we'll continue our conversation with her next on Overnight America KMOX. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. <laughs> But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this... Why? A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. And Ann Bossom is the author of Ensnared in the Wolf's Lair inside the 1944 plot to kill Hitler and the ghost children of his revenge. You can find her online, annbossom.com, B-A-U-S-U-M. And thank you again for doing this. I really appreciate the time on KMOX. I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you. I'm sure you've done an awful lot of research. Was part of your research looking at documents written by the children after they were liberated? Uh, In some cases, yes, Uh, particularly a diary that had been kept by one of the older children held at this property, the Borntal, that I was describing earlier. Uh, Her her name at the time, Christa von Hoffaker, um, and, um, and she was 12, 
and uh, and kept a diary that she started a, a, shortly after the coup, as her her world really started to crumble. Her mother was taken away, her two older siblings. She was left um, with her two younger siblings, and um, in uh, the family home uh, with this um, Nazi nurse who was um, disliked by the children, and um, and then relatives and so forth trying to to provide some sense of normalcy. And and then she was um, taken away with her younger siblings uh, by the Gestapo and then separated when they reached the, the Borntal uh, because the kids were separated by age and so forth. Um, again, breaking up sibling units. And um, and so she kept a diary that's really a remarkable account. And, and one of the few um, contemporary contemporary accounts from that that period. There aren't a lot of records that survived. Um, there was, um, um, but there was this record that she had kept, which conveys a lot of the 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 everyday aspects of the confinement that the children faced. It's important to emphasize that um, as horrific as as this incident in history was it's it's just um a glimmer of the evil that was being perpetrated at the same time at the the Nazi death camps with the holocaust um but um but what comes through with with her account and some of the accounts that others have left is is that um just the terror that um, how how terrifying uncertainty can be, how uh, terrifying the lack of information can be. When you're being held, you don't know why you're being held. On the one hand, everybody's acting like everything's perfectly normal. You're, you're sleeping in a bed. You're having three meals a day. Um, you, you know, you're seemingly safe and so forth. And yet, on the other hand, um, you have this sort of anxiety hanging over you that something bad could happen. Maybe you're going to get killed. Maybe you're not going to see your family again, et cetera. And, um, you know, this is history that happened, um, you know, 70, more than 75 years ago. But some of these people were quite young. Krista is still alive. Um, wow. I was able to interview her multiple times. I uh, made two trips to, to Europe and interviewed uh, other ghost children in Europe when I was um, in Germany. I talked to an older sibling of um, of one of the ghost children, a, a woman who's 97 now, uh, who was uh, 20 at the time and was placed in jail, and um, really, you know, bore the traumatic scars of that for most of her life. Many of these people um, never really recovered from the feeling of abandonment, the feeling of um, of anxiety, the trauma of. Uh, losing their their parents, uh, parents who were executed very cruelly by the Nazi regime, and so it was um, it, it was um, well documented through a lot of oral histories and then these interviews that I collected. Wow, that must have been quite the emotional roller coaster to sit down and talk to some of the surviving children to get their firsthand account of it. And even though they're pretty far removed from it, they probably had a lot of time to think about it and put their uh, thoughts down. For you, as the sake of an author, to be able to be next to a, uh, someone that's a living history, what did that mean for you? Well, it's a, it's a very, it's an awesome, um, um, you know, responsibility to, 
to try to be uh, play a part in helping to capture that, to preserve that, and to convey it to to a fresh audience, particularly one in a country that is not familiar with this history at all. Uh, one of the people I was fortunate enough to interview, I was really honored that um, Klaus von Stauffenberg's oldest son, Berthold, was willing to sit down and talk to me. And, um, you know, he was, he and the others treated me as if they'd never told the story before, even though this has become, you know, an unchosen job that they've had to do their whole lives, um, particularly in recent decades as this history has gained in interest. And, um, and so they're, they're having to relive this on a regular basis and, and feel an obligation to do so uh, because they are the people who can speak to, to this, um, this incident of, of injustice. Wow. And I sometimes wonder, too, how certain things are taught in different areas. The way that we would teach World War II here in the United States, I wonder how they would teach it in Germany today. And when you get the firsthand experience of someone that lived it and how different it is than just reading a book here in the United States about it. Um, Well, yes. And I think one of the things that struck me is just the extent to which this history is very much part of the current events in Germany. I was um, traveling on both of my trips. I traveled with my oldest son, who was in his late 20s at that time. He had spent a year in Germany after college and had the language skills that I lacked to help to facilitate our our travel. Uh, Most of the people I spoke with were um, quite fluent in English, uh, which certainly helped. But... um, but we, you know, we'd be watching television in the evenings, and I was astonished at how many times there were documentaries or programs related to World War II on the television. I think there's there's still this uh, collective grip that this history has on um, on this country. Oh yeah, absolutely. The country of I Germany, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, in in given some of the restrictions that they have, I always wondered how that may have conflicted with the education of it, because in a lot of ways, um, you know, there's certain restrictions like here in the United States, you can talk about it. And we have freedom of speech, but, you know, there's certain laws in Germany, things you can and can't do. And I mean, some people can argue that, but then I wondered if that influenced the education they received on it, but it doesn't sound like it. Well, you make a good point, though, Ryan, because there was this period um, directly after the war where it took some time to dismantle this extremely efficient propaganda system that had had been installed during the 12 year reign of um of of Nazi rule and um so you had educators who had basically been brainwashed themselves and were teaching propaganda um that um y- you know was was the accepted um narrative of of the country and uh, the 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 narrative that evolved, you know, keep in mind that that plot failed in July of 1944. It was May before May of the next year before Germany fell. And so that was a period of time when um, considerable propaganda was circulating around the country of how these these people were traitors. These the family names were infamous. 
Um, there, there were speeches made condemning them and so forth. And when these children got out of, um, of captivity and in the fall of 1945 are back in the schools, well, their classmates think their fathers were traitors. Because um, that's what they were told. Their teachers may think that too, and um, and so these children were um, they suffered afterwards as well because uh, they were they were um, shunned or um, criticized or ostracized, and that that um, miseducation took some decades to to um, to finally be corrected. And um, and to some extent, it was led by that very generation, which came to realize the extent to which it had been lied to in school and the extent to which their, their parents' generation had been so ashamed of what had happened that they had um, just stopped talking about it, gotten quiet about it. And uh, there were protests in the streets in the 1960s by, by German um, college students and, and students demanding uh, that the education be be honest and that the country face what it had done um, fully on. And that did lead to an embrace of that um, that principle, particularly in, in Western Germany when the nation was still divided, but then when it reunited, uh, that has continued. And, and there is a um, considerable effort spent educating the population um, in an effort to assure that, that nothing like that would ever happen again. Wow. And I know, um, at least from this side, when I talk to World War II veterans and the ones I've been fortunate enough to know, is when you try to talk to them about their firsthand experiences in World War II, I, I found that a lot of them had interest in learning more about the things they were involved in, maybe some of the behind the scenes or what was going on. But when it came down to documenting their own actions in the war, none of them liked to talk about it. It was something that it, it was just too difficult for them to talk about the things they saw. You know, veterans that may have been part of D-Day or saw concentration camps firsthand. And you, you hear about these things and they get choked up. And it's just even the thought of it. So when I go back and I think about how some of the kids today are telling their stories, you mentioned uh, it's a job they didn't sign up for, but they're still talking about this thing. Is it difficult? Do you find that a lot of them have uh, still difficulty talking about this, or is it mostly they've, they've come with grips and, and they've come with full understanding of what happened to them, and it's okay, they, they, they're okay with talking about it? Um, I think it's a it's a mix. I I spoke with three three ghost children. Krista uh, Berthold, the the son of the the person who set the explosives at the Wolfslayer, and a very young uh, someone who was very young at the time of his confinement. He was seven. Um, who uh, is a retired professor at this point, and. Um, and there were a couple of others that I reached out to who, um, you know, one of them said she had been talking about it too much lately and she didn't want to talk about it anymore. Another one who said, you know, I've, I've said all I want to say about it. Um, I, I think, um, it, it, you know, you have, you have people who were traumatized not just by the separation, um, not just by the anxiety of, of and the uncertainty, uh, but by the loss of their, their fathers. And, and keep in mind, these were uh, generally members of the German military, which was a distinct 
uh, and I'm not trying to excuse them at all, but the, they weren't in the Gestapo. They weren't, um, they weren't at the death camps. Their, their role was to, um, you know, lead this war effort, which they did quite cap- capably and, um, you know, willingly. And in, in that sense, there was a, a complicit, um, you know, they were complicit in this war and, um, and you know, f- felt regret for that uh, with time. And some of them may have been supportive of the rise of Hitler even. But, um, but in, at the end of the day, these were the, the, you know, you get one dad and, and this was your dad and he's gone, you know, and even before that he'd been gone in the military. Um, you might see him once, once a year. So um, this, it, it, it creates a hole in, in your life. Wow. Do you mind holding on after the break? We can talk a little bit more about this. I'll be happy to. Yeah, there's one question that I'm I'm starting to circle around and I didn't know if you would talk about this with the kids is if they are proud of what their dad's involvement was with trying to take out Hitler or if they are regretful. I mean, if when they go back and think about how uh, difficult a position they were put in, but at the same time they thought they were trying to do something good. I'm curious if they discussed maybe the the moral side of it and if uh, maybe they thought of their parents that way as a figure of history, but at the same time, um, what that did to the family, if if, if they had any thoughts on that. But um, maybe we can do that after the break, because that might be a little bit longer of an answer. And people can find this book online right now or in local bookstores called Ensnared in the Wolf's Lair, inside the 1944 plot to kill Hitler and the ghost children of his revenge, Ann Bossom. You can find her online, Bossom, B-A-U-S-U-M.com. We'll continue next on Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com on KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. It's a book that you can find out now, and you can actually get more information if you go to our website, Ann Bossom, B-A-U-S-U-M, annbossom.com. And the book is extremely fascinating. It's out now. You can find it in bookstores, ensnared in the wolf's lair inside the 1944 plot to kill Hitler and the ghost children of his revenge. And Ann, you were mentioning some of these children that you had an opportunity to talk to now in their 90s and interview them and talk about what it was like during all of this. Did you ever ask them if they, uh, you know, what their thoughts are on their dad or any of their parents' involvement in the assassination plot of Hitler? Were they were they proud? Were they angry? Did they have any emotions about all of this? Yeah, I think um you, you know there were there were 46 children who were um were part of this um this confinement from 19 families and I suspect if you were able to ask all 46 of them that question you would get 46 different answers. And s- certainly there were um elements of of um of being pride, proud of what their their fathers had done um and understanding that their fathers were trying to um you know as that quote that I read to you you know 
be true to their consciences, do something that was right for Germany. Um, there, there was a real feeling among the conspirators that they needed to show to the outside world that there had been a resistance in Germany, that um, not everyone had followed Hitler blindly all the way to the end. And, um, and, but there were others who felt like they, their fathers had been unfair, um, not that I talked to, but I heard about in instances where um, I think there were our family members who felt resentful that um, they had had to suffer so much, and that's understandable too. I think um, really you're you're going to end up with a with a mix of feelings because it's it's just such a, a complicated situation to find yourself in. It's really difficult when it comes to you and your family to try to look at the bigger picture and all of that because it really is it's unfair to them and you can totally understand if they feel resentful because of what it did to the family at that time because it, you know it's it, when you're that age you don't look at the bigger picture maybe with some time you could but still it's it's so difficult to to think about as a family unit what that meant for them and how that changed everything yeah, I was actually going to say that same thing. You make a good point that um, what you may think as a 14-year-old is going to be different as a 44-year-old and an 84-year-old. Your perspective changes as you, you go through life and begin to make decisions yourself as a parent or, um, or with involvement in politics or whatever. What happens now um, that when we go back and look at some of these different storylines and things documenting World War II? Because at this point, it feels like just about everything has been covered. And it always amazes me when I learn new stories about this one. And you spend all of this time going through the documents. I'm curious, as you started to do research, if you started to take notes on the side like, oh, I should do this one next or, oh, I should talk about this. <laughs> Are there subtopics that start to come to mind? That is often how it goes with history, and there are definitely things that I learned about with um, with this book that uh, I debated. Well, you know, I wasn't quite sure which angle I wanted to follow. So uh, maybe I'll circle back to, to World War II again at some point. I, it's a dark place to go, um, and, um, and it, it can be good to, uh, you know, it's kind of like the children reflecting as their ages change, I think, as um, as um, you know, I continue to write and um, the world changes around me. There may be stories from that period that I recollect and say, hmm, I think this might be a good time to look at that one. But yeah. I, I couldn't I couldn't itemize anything for you at the moment. Because I'm looking on your website and I see that you wrote a book about uh, Sergeant Stubby, which is the little pit bull hero dog that was well decorated. What a great story that is, too. That is so cool. Oh, that was a fun one. Yeah, yeah. I, I love stories like that. I, I love seeing that. And you wrote all kinds of different. It's amazing to me looking at all the different history that you've documented through your books that you're able to store all of that in your mind. I mean, you got to just be at full capacity at this point. Well, don't quiz me on all the specifics about Stubby because I, ha I, I might need to get my cheat sheet out on that one because it's been a while. But um, certainly when I'm in the midst of working on one of these, I'm, I'm, I'm literally dreaming about it at night, not uh, infrequently. So um, uh -huh. you do get very immersed in it. I write a, 
a type of nonfiction called narrative nonfiction, which means it, um, it, it's entirely factual, uh, but it uses those uh, literary techniques that you would associate with novels. So there's suspense, there's, um, there's you know, there are cliffhangers at times in, in chapters. There's, there's, um, there's just heightened tension. Uh, the, the, I, I have a, a chapter devoted to the, the actual Valkyrie attempt, and, um, and I'm told it's a very unnerving thing to read because it's just, even though you know how it's going to turn out, you're still anxious um, as it unfolds. There's a lot of movies that dramatize World War II, uh, some that are very realistic. That uh, Tom Hanks series, The Band of Brothers, did that for a while. That was pretty popular. And then Saving Private Ryan, and there's more contemporary ones, too. There's always going to be this fascination around the war and what went through it. I'm curious, in pop culture, Germany pop culture, do they have different ways that they approach this in their storytelling than we do here and what we're seeing uh, in the United States? Well, just as we tend to tell the story from a, a, the perspective of the United States troops, the American troops, I think, you know, and I'm no expert on German media, but the, the movies that I've seen, the, um, the TV series that I've watched and so forth, is, um, is, is you know, you're, you're in Germany. It's from the German perspective, whether it's looking critically at that um, or um, what whatever angle it, it's taking. So I think maybe that's that's the difference, but there's so much cross-pollination these days of um, of media. You know, you can go on Netflix and and find German language um, television series about this period uh, that are are those you know geared towards a German audience, and yet they're extremely engaging for an American audience as well, and accessible yeah. through subtitles. And likewise, they're watching our media too. Yeah, because I guess what I mean is when we watch it from this side, we, of course, look at our troops and then we see the Nazis as the bad guys. I'm wondering maybe in media in Germany if they have any sympathy for their own troops during that time or if it's looked at the same way we look at them. Uh, it's because the perspective of it is always changes from country to country when you talk about war. Right. Yeah. No, that's yeah. I, that's a, an interesting question. I can't address it, but I do. I would say that overall, I do not think Germany is glorifying um, this Nazi uh, past. So I don't think that 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 that's the kind of thing you would find um, yeah. in, in their well, media. And it's certainly not the narrative that is being told in the the many many museums and uh, memorial centers that I visited. Mm-hmm. So if people wanted to find out your work like this one, Ensnared in the Wolf's Lair, and maybe some of your other work, where can they find you? Uh, I really would send them to my website, uh, Ann Bossom, A-N-N, no E, as you've been spelling it, Bossom, B-A-U-S-U-M, uh, dot com. And, um, and I... You can. I've, this is my sweet 16 title, so you've got this one or 15 others that you can look at. And uh, most of my my work has dealt with social justice history. Uh, and I I really what I I really like are the untold stories. I I don't think I've, with the exception of the book that I've written about the U.S. presidents, most of the history that I've written about, you know, I uniformly am told, wow, I didn't know that happened. This is so interesting, and that's one reason adults read my books as much as 
as uh, school children, school age children do, because we've never heard it before. Oh, yeah. It's great. And Bossom, I'm so glad you'd spent this hour with us on Overnight America, really going into your book, Ensnared in the Wolf's Lair, inside the 1944 plot to kill Hitler and the ghost children of his revenge. So fascinating to me, and I'm sure to this audience. Everyone should go check it out. Again, thank you, Anne, for coming on to Overnight America. Ryan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And we'll be right back on KMOX. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 